Hi, I'm Rebecca Pete, And I'm Rebecca Cochran. And, and welcome, welcome to Woven, where we strive to be Christians living in the world with intention. And our prayer is that, to paraphrase Mary Zimmer, the Christ who knew Mary and Martha would show us the way of balance. Thanks, Thanks for listening. All we want for Christmas is reviews. <laughs> <laughs> I did not know she was going to do that. <laughs> this is our little commercial. Um, leave us a review if you want to give us a Christmas gift, uh, preferably on iTunes, so you can leave it wherever you listen to podcasts. Um, we say iTunes because that is the most commonly used podcast streaming service, and every time we get an extra review, it bumps us up in searches. So if somebody's searching for a Christian female podcast, it will put us on the front page, and who goes past the front page? No one. Yep. So um, more people will find out about us, and you can Not also— Not because we want numbers, but because we really believe in our message and want more people to hear it. Yeah, we do. And um, the other thing is you can— uh, what can you do? You can also like our posts on social media. I mean, yes. there's a lot of small things you can do to give us a little gift. Um, if you want to get us a big gift, you can support us on Patreon. Um, you will get extra content. You will get, what else do they get on Patreon, Rebecca? They get devotionals from me, recipes uh-huh. from you. We have some really good ones coming up that we're about to talk about uh, yes. for Christmas. So check so. it out. And um, yeah, thank you. All we want for Christmas is reviews. And Patreon supporters. And Patreon supporters. <laughs> <laughs> Bye. Okay, bye. Okay, welcome back. This is our last episode of our Advent series. If you've been with us or haven't been with us, we've been going through the different names Jesus was called in Scripture. Um, mm-hmm. And most of them, we've talked about dichotomies. Not all of them. Some of them go together. We've talked about wonderful counselor and advocate. Bread. Bread. We talked about bread. Did love that bread one. We did bread of life and the sheep cornerstone, which Mm -hmm. went together as well. And then last week we talked about son of God, son of man, which seemed to be dichotomies, but we talked about how they're not and how they fit together last week. It was very heady, heavy theologically. So thank you for coming back after that. (laughs) We didn't bore you too much. And then this week we're talking about the lion and the lamb, which also seemed to be like they don't go together. Right. They seem to not go together at all. They seem not to go together, but we know that scripturally they do, and they have a purpose for Jesus being called both of those things. Mm -hmm. And so today we've invited Chris um, McDaniel back on. If you remember, we had him on. It was a summer, wasn't it? I don't feel like it was that long ago. Yeah, it must have been late summer. In the summer. The tattoo episode. Yeah. That was a very popular one. That was a very popular episode. Tattoos. Pastor talking about tattoos. Like, what doesn't draw in listeners than that? So, um, Chris McDaniel is um, our, mine and Rebecca's lead pastor at our church, Trinity Anglican in Atlanta, for Mm -hmm. those of you who don't live here. And we're having him on to talk about Lion and the Lamb because he loves C.S. Lewis. I do indeed. Yes, <laughs> he does, and that uh, was really the main reason that he's a C.S. Lewis enthusiast. And I can't think of it better the fact that, that he he's has, incredibly smart and yeah, wonderful, and, and, but. <laughs> and cares about scripture and all of that too. But um, we know that he mostly has other things to do this Advent season. But we begged him, and he came on to talk to us about C.S. Lewis and the theme of the lion, um, as Jesus as the lion in C.S. Lewis's writings. So we'll start with how we want to start. We realize we haven't really talked about what Advent is. And a lot of you guys have heard me talk about the church calendar, and we dig into it a lot. But for our new listeners, let's talk a little bit about why we Advent. I made up a verb, verb uh, today. <laughs> why we do this um, this time in the church calendar. So could you start with that, Chris? I would oh, love by, to. by the way, welcome, Chris. Um, Thank you for back. <laughs> Thank you guys for having me. Ad- Advent is uh, simply a word that means coming, and it's the beginning of the Christian year. So. New Year's Day is the beginning of our calendar year, but for 
for the church year, the liturgical year that begins every year on, on Advent. So happy new year to the mm-hmm. two of you and to you listeners. Uh, Advent is simply a way to prepare for Christmas. I think that's the best way to understand uh, the, the idea. It's a roughly 25 day period of time leading up to the feast of uh, Christmas or the nativity, whereby Christians in a manner that's not terribly dissimilar to Lent and Easter, uh, Christians use the Lenten season as a time of preparation to, to be ready for Easter. Uh, Christians also use Advent as a season to be ready for uh, the feast of, of Christmas. And I think that's important because, as you're well aware, our world sweeps us away this time of year. Mm-hmm. There, in the name of Christmas, we become frantically busy and we spend all this money and we end up traveling and doing all this crazy stuff. And today it's no different than it was 2000 years ago. You know, it's easy to miss Jesus. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the birth of Jesus, I think if it has anything to teach us scripturally is that Jesus was born not as a ready-made warrior or a politician, someone who would live in the halls of power. He was born as a baby to an unwed mother and uh, groomed to be in a very small out of the way place. Uh, Bethlehem, a village of what, 200 people maybe. Uh, mm-hmm. It was not a fancy place. And I think that that, that echoes through the centuries to, to tell us that today, even the work of God, if we're not paying attention, it's easy to miss what God's mm-hmm. doing. Mm-hmm. And as I look at my own life, I see that the fullness and busyness of life can cause me to miss yeah. what Jesus is wanting to do in me now. So Advent is a wonderful way to step back. Uh, it's a way to prepare for mm-hmm. Christmas, I think. We all see that, you know, the two sort of principal figures of Advent, I think, are Mary, the mother of God, and John the baptizer. And both of those people um, recognized ahead of time, made room, prepared, so that God would take up more and more space in in their life. So I hear John say, I must decrease as he increases. Mm -hmm. And we hear Mary say, I've made room to become a house for God, and he will take up more and more space in my life. So Advent is a way to get ready to be yeah. be prepared. Yeah. And I just echo that. We were just talking on the way here, um, Rebecca and I were, about just the craziness. Um, even sweet things like stuff at the kids' school and church programs and mm-hmm. parties with friends, like Christian friends. Like, I mean, people that we want to be around in our community. And it still causes us to feel this, like, stress and like attention between um what we know advent should be and what it um is turning out not to be mm-hmm. and so i've just really been sitting with that and sitting with i don't know who i was listening to recently talking about elizabeth um um mary's cousin and john the baptist's mother um as she's sitting there and she goes into seclusion while she waits mm-hmm. for john and then mary shows up and just this idea of like we can't unfortunately in the 21st century seclude ourselves the way mm-hmm. elizabeth did mm-hmm. um we have responsibilities and all of those things but how can i seclude myself a little bit each day mm-hmm. of the way elizabeth did as she waited for john and for for mary and and jesus so that's a good word Amen. thank you yeah. um any thoughts on advent for you and Oh, a million. I just think about the pregnant thing. I mean, I just focus on Mary being pregnant and Jesus slowly growing and how God, like how we helped build him up, like creation helped build, like he allowed us to, in Mary's womb, build him up. Yeah. And like how it's so reciprocal, I think a lot in Advent. Um, And just if I make space, he does fill it up and wants to. And I think that's like, 
because sometimes it can feel like one more thing to do, right? It's yeah. like, oh, Advent, okay, I now I have to make more room and I have to like, and it's never like something bad. No, that you're no. like, let me put down this like bender I'm going to go on. It's always like, well, there's a kid's Christmas program or there's this or that. And it's like, you're always choosing between good things, I feel like. And so being able to make space, I find um, is really a gift I can give God versus like something I have to do. Mm-hmm. But I think it can feel like a to-do list thing. I can, I can. Mm-hmm. I agree. Just like my hand as well, like you were yeah. speaking to that um, and how to... To make it more of a, a spiritual practice and less of a try hard practice. Yeah, um, for sure. So let's move into so we're we've been talking about dichotomies and we've been talking about uh, you know we did son of God son of man and how hard it is for us to wrap our brains around the fact that he is fully God and fully human mm-hmm. um, and and what that means to us for on both ends but also with the lion and the lamb. I mean, if you just walked up to somebody on the road and <laughs> was like, you think Jesus is both the lion and the lamb? Like the idea like. When I talked to my kids about it last night because I was like, oh, I'm going to pull a 10-year-old and a 6-year-old and see what they think. And they were like, mommy, how could he be both? And, of course, my son is very into nonfiction right now and learning about animals. And he gave me 20 facts about lions and how there's no way that a lion and the lamb would, like, hang out together. <laughs> so we had a long discussion about that last night. But um, so scripturally, what do, where do we see the lion come in and the lamb come in? Do you have thoughts on that? Yeah, so you have in the Old Testament there, the image of God as Lion of Judah. Yeah, uh, that was attributed to Jesus in in the the era of the of the New Testament. Uh, you see, the actual the the image of a lion is is a, a well leveraged image in in the Bible. Uh, so it's attributed both to Satan mm-hmm. uh, in in John yeah. and and to Jesus. Yeah, uh, and and then you have in the the apocalypse and in, in Revelation, you've got this idea of a, a lion looking as if it had been slain or um, injured, yeah. um, and and a, and the lamb also comes into that picture in in the book of Revelation. And so the idea of a lion, I think, is a very Jewish idea. Yeah, uh, it's a, a powerful idea. I think you w- would have seen specifically in antiquity lions, you know. Roaming around a little bit over there in the Middle East, more than you would today, probably due to your son could give us some facts about diminishing animal populations. <laughs> in the world. And so the, the image of a of a lion is as powerful, um, as uh, assertive and aggressive, even uh, predatory. Mm-hmm. Uh, those pictures, I think, fascinated Semitic people in the ancient world just like they do us now. Um, yeah. This idea that like a lion is a force to be reckoned with. So it makes sense that people would would connect that image to God. Yeah, and mm-hmm. and the lion for Judah that was in Genesis when Jacob is he's on his deathbed and he's pronouncing um, blessings over each one of his his children. When he speaks to Judah is when he talks to him about the blessing of the, the lion of Judah, which you know at the time. Uh, I'm sure Judah took that in and, and the brothers took that in. I, I'm told this isn't from scripture. This is just my interpretation. They would have been like, like just because of what you said with the idea in Jewish history of a lion, that, that rose Judah to a place of prominence. Mm-hmm. And they probably wondered why at the time, because mm-hmm. he's one of the younger brothers, correct? Yes. Yeah. And so, but, you know, Prophet that you know that's part of prophecy that because Jesus comes from the tribe of Judah, so yeah, yeah. that I mean the prophecy goes way back of Jesus yeah. being the lion, um, and then the, what's the significance of there's lots of significance of the lambs in yeah. scripture. I mean it, I can't prove this, but I I would suspect that the first animal killed in in Genesis. Uh, was probably a, a lamb, uh, and and if you're familiar with that story, you know humans in the 
in the fall tried to make coverings for themselves out of out of leaves and we're, we're told almost like a it, it almost seems like a throwaway god made skins for them to cover mm-hmm. their nakedness uh, i was actually reading that this morning in in my bible reading and so throughout jewish history and specifically in in mosaic law regarding animal sacrifices uh the lamb was viewed as a as a a, a form of sacrificial atonement whereby an animal would be killed without spot or wrinkle and offered as a sacrifice and i think rather than just view the 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 old testament law as this kind of like gruesome bloody butcher fest (laughs) i I think it's helpful actually for me at least when i think of the my my own kind of imaginative arc of reading the bible is to think about probably uh that first animal killed was was probably a lamb of some kind i would i would venture to guess because god um knew that uh something had to cover human shame and sin and so when i think of even mosaic sacrifice i think of this idea of god's actually covering human shame and sin and that image of clothing is such a powerful image for me and so you see all throughout the 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 old testament that lambs specifically were a sacrifice for for um for forgiveness and atonement of sin and then again like like we alluded to um that lamb looking as if it had been slain in in the book of revelation kind of brings the whole story to this really interesting conclusion of like somehow in a mysterious way, God has something to say about covering shame and sin. Now we also know the imagery we're compared to, to sheep in the Bible. And that's not always a terribly favorable comparison. <laughs> yeah. If anybody um, knows anything about lamb, yeah. lambs and sheep, they're not sheep. That's not, that's not how you do that. Literally. Um, but they're not, they're dumb. Well, they're, and they're yeah. vulnerable. Yes. And, and I think that does actually say something probably to the point that you guys are exploring is that, God in the person of Jesus um, is both um, vulnerable and tender and powerful and um, assertive and I would even argue aggressive. Mm -hmm. Uh, And that image of lion and lamb actually help us wrap our head around pretty broad spectrum of of who Jesus is, who God is. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I was, um, I was watching the other day, um, you know, some YouTube video came across my social media feed and it was, I don't know if you guys saw this, but there were, I I think this was the past few weeks, there was a safari expedition somewhere. I think it was in South Africa, but somewhere in that part of the world. And um, they, you start to see that a lion is pursuing the Jeep. Mm. Um, And it's, I mean, at the end, unfortunately they have to shoot the lion because Mm. it is, becoming way too aggressive with the tourist in the Jeep. But mm. it was a really powerful, um, I watched it multiple times because you see before the Jeep sees the lion, the pursuit and the aggressive pursuit of that Jeep. Yeah. And then and then them trying to run from the lion and they can't. Mm. And so then they eventually have to kill the yeah. lion, which is unfortunate because lions, like you alluded to earlier, are one of our endangered species. So it's really sad. But all of that, like it was very powerful because then I was thinking yeah. about it again as I, we were preparing for this and just that, there, there's something about that pursuit too. Yeah. Um, that aggressive pursuit. And, oh my gosh. And the lion at that moment for those people, it, it seems like that's not a good pursuit. But when we put that in terms of who God is and who Jesus is, that yeah. pursuit um, for us, that aggressive pursuit can be scary but also amazing, yeah. which leads into. But before we get to that, I want to talk about Isaiah 11, where it talks about the prophecy of the lion. It doesn't actually talk about the lion laying down with the lamb, mm. <laughs> it's actually the lion with the. 
um, I think it's the calf Mm -hmm. and then the wolf with the lamb but the imagery is still the same we just like to pull the lion and lay him out I don't know it's alliteration or something but um, this idea of peace and power together Mm -hmm. so um, in that prophecy of Jesus and Isaiah so let's go into C.S. Lewis a little bit and his view of the power and the peace of the lion Mm -hmm. if you could that'd be awesome yeah it'd be great I I love I love that picture. And there there are, I think, some other places in the Bible where a lion and lamb actually do lie down together. Yeah. Uh, the, the scripture in Isaiah is one really that comes to the front of mind during the Advent season, because I think that you see this prophetic voice saying, uh, God alone can reconcile all things yeah. unto himself. And, um, and, and it's not just, I think, for me, the lion image as Lewis imagined it, but really even biblically, it's not just this relentless pursuit. The lion actually speaks to the power and the authority of God, which is actually quite unnerving. Mm-hmm. And I think it's a thing that we underexplore today. Um, I remember, uh, gosh, for 20 something years ago, there was a, a movie that was a pretty blasphemous movie um, that uh in an effort to be funny, made Jesus into this, they rebranded Jesus, mm-hmm. a PR firm did, and he was rebranded as Buddy Jesus, just like the guy who would never do anything but be your bud. Mm-hmm. And I actually think that's a prevailing understanding that we have even in the church today. It's like, oh, Jesus is just so sweet, you know. And uh, C.S. Lewis certainly did not uh, say that about Jesus. <laughs> yeah. mm-hmm. And he also, he didn't say he was ter- terrible. He just said he's good, but he's not safe. And that image comes up again and again in the Narnia books. Um, Aslan, the Christ figure who is a lion, is good, inherently good, but he's not safe. And my 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 mental picture comes from uh, one of the one of the Narnia books where a young girl named Jill is in this state of uh, exhaustion and thirst and she's alone and she sees it and hears this stream rippling and she starts to move toward the stream and there's this giant lion standing next to the stream and Jill stops dead in her tracks and she's like, I can't, I'm not gonna. And the lion just keeps saying, come. And then she says, I'm not going to do it. And then she says, if I come, would you promise not to eat me? And the lion just looks at her and says, no, I don't make those promises. And she keeps moving forward because her thirst is motivating her. And I think that's such a powerful image Mm -hmm. of of Jesus. I think that C.S. Lewis really hit the nail on the head there that Jesus doesn't promise uh, to be always gentle with us. Mm -hmm. Uh, But if we can trust that he is good and acknowledge that kind of wild power, that untamed power of his, then we actually have to contend with something really real and frankly, really grown up. I I think the irony is Lewis like a lot of great writers put some pretty grown up ideas into children's books as a way to get all of us to think about God. And so the first invitation for me, at least when I think about God as lion, Jesus as lion and the way Lewis treated him is that what they're trying to get us to see there is that God must be contended with. Mm -hmm. Uh, We can't just make him our buddy. Mm -hmm. Uh, We have to actually deal with God in a way where we deal with him on his terms, not our terms. Yeah, I like the image. I don't remember which one of the books it's in. I, I went, they all run together. They are. They too. do. And I and I, I read them multiple times as I mean, at times as children as a child, and then re- had to read it again in seminary, and then read it again with my own children, and they still all run together. But there's the I don't remember which one it is. 
downtreader maybe i can't remember um where they he's about to roar aslan's about to roar and he tells the children he's to cover your ears and they cover their ears and and he paints the picture of all the trees bending Mm -hmm. and so it's obvious the power of the roar Mm -hmm. but he has the children cover their ears um and i think that's just such a beautiful picture of you know that that balance that tension between Yes, he's he's not safe and he's powerful and he's aggressive. Um, and there are times that he's not um, it, he doesn't always seem good, even though he says he's good. But also there are times yeah. where we enter into that space with him and yeah. he does prepare us for it mm-hmm. and, and 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 shelters us in it um, in in the midst of his roaring power so i think that's a beautiful picture too it is. It is. so what do you think um when we talk about the lion and the lamb and this the prophecy and revelation and um you know a lot of revelation is really hard because it's a lot of it is symbolic and a lot of it's prophecy and we we don't know what sim- symbolism what's prophecy sometimes and we don't want to take it as like this is exactly what's going to happen obviously but um what effect or what um, what do you see as the importance for the church today as we think about the kingdom here mm-hmm. and the kingdom to come, mm-hmm. how that lion and that lamb imagery plays into that? Mm-hmm. Does that make does my question make mm-hmm. sense? Yeah, yeah, it does. And and again, you're you're right. the The book of Revelation is a uh, it's I would be wary of anyone who says they know exactly what that's all about. <laughs> but, what? I know it all. But I think those images. So yeah. like I think specifically in, in Revelation, you you hear that the Lion of Judah has triumphed. And then you see this lamb looking as if it had been slain. And that picture of, of a slain lamb who alone is able to open up this scroll and read this prophetic word about God's bringing the world to culmination is such an, a remarkable image because in the same way that you could view a lion as like untamed visceral power that's dangerous, you 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 also aren't prepared to see a lamb that, not only a lamb, but a dead lamb, one that had been killed as being powerful enough to do something that no one else could do. Okay. And I think that what we see in, at the end of our Bible is just that God is reconciling all things to himself. Mm-hmm. And those two pictures of lion and lamb actually help us wrap, begin to wrap our arms around the breadth of that reconciliation, yeah. uh, that God is both powerful and vulnerable, that God is able to ultimately heal the world, which is where our story I- is headed. I think yeah. it's how we're able to face darkness and brokenness and pain and mm-hmm. sin and sickness and betrayal and politics and all the things that we face is that we're we're reminded, maybe maybe especially during a season like Advent, that it was in a season of remarkable darkness that God came in the first place. Yeah. And they will undoubtedly be in seasons of remarkable darkness and uncertainty that God will come for us again in the second place. Yeah. And I love that that picture because the picture I have in my heart regarding God's ultimate return and the resolution of all things is that a slain lamb— and a powerful lion, that's going to help me begin to wrap my head around kind of the anthropomorphic, like, what is God like? Yeah. Um, he's like both of those things. Yeah. Uh, and I'm really grateful, frankly, that we don't just have one picture or the other. Yeah. Because I think yeah. we did, we would be missing some some significant opportunity to grow and learn. Yeah. I think that it really plays into what we talked about last week with Son of God and Son of Man. 
um, this idea that, you know, he is, you know, as God, he's, he's got, he's sinless and he's all powerful and he's omniscient, omnipresent. He has all those characteristics of God that has been born as Emmanuel with us, but then he's also fully man. And it's that idea of he comes to where, where we are Mm. and, and, you know, like he's alluded to the Bible, you know, calls us like the, like sheep or lamb, lambs, lamb whatever um really bad that's plural yeah Yeah, (laughs) okay um but um this idea that he they have they they give us a fuller picture of who he is even though i think sometimes both the this idea of the lion and lamb Mm -hmm. and son of god son of man um meek and strong um people use that when they're trying to counter christianity to say well he there's there's no way he could be both yeah um, and the truth is, it just reminds us that God doesn't fit into systematic theological yes. categories like we would like him to. Yeah. You know, because we want God, we need God for our own sake of control to be one or the other. Mm-hmm. Or to be like one and then alternately one and then the other. But not at the same time. Right. When but it, at the when same we want, time. Yeah. And that's what I love about those pictures of, to, to your point about the, the lion and the calf or the lion and the lamb elsewhere coming together to, to be together. That's God saying, you, this is not just like one day I'm this way and the other day I'm this way. It's that there's an interplay mm-hmm. that frankly doesn't make sense. I mean, your son is right when he says, well, that doesn't make sense for this mm-hmm. reason and that reason. And I think that that's what we're, ho- we're called to begin to hope and anticipate a future where somehow that which doesn't make sense in my own fallen family of origin in our in our fallen world will one day make sense. Yeah. And I think that's why I like candles and mark a calendar and mm-hmm. walk through Advent because I, I want to be able to say to God and the world and to myself, there's a lot in my life that doesn't make sense right now. Um, but but I, I, I live in hope that because God is lion and lamb, among other things, that one day the Lord is going to reconcile all things to himself. And for me, on a very devotional level, that means the, the, the dragony parts of me that fight for good things and sometimes bad things mm-hmm. and the vulnerable parts of me that I try to hide and protect that God ultimately can reconcile those things, the yeah. strength in me and the vulnerability in yeah. me, because we see that in God. Yeah. And, yeah. That, and I think a lot of our pain and a lot of our, um, our lack of growth and flourishing in relationships is that we don't know how to reconcile the, the vulnerabilities and the strengths that we have inside ourselves. And if yeah. God can do it, if he can hold those things, then gosh, Maybe we should have an imagination that we can hold those things in that same tension. Yeah, that's what I kept thinking when y'all were talking was like, if people are like that. We're like that. You know, like we're complete dichotomies all the time. And it it's an it's a maturity to be able to see it in yourself and be okay with yeah. it. And to be able to see people you've painted one way and especially going into political things like we're about to. I mean, it's really easy to just paint people a certain way and not see the depth to them. Right. And it's it's not really like making it clear it's like going deeper and saying like we have this inside of us too yeah Amen. yeah i'm i'm a complete enneagram nerd and uh one of the things that if we're talking about self-awareness of ourselves is you know what what your greatest what's your greatest superpower is also your greatest weakness, weakness yeah. right but like like you don't want to get rid of either one of those things mm-hmm. you want to get rid of your you don't want to get rid of your superpower obviously because that's how god's uniquely gifted you to be in the world mm-hmm. you don't want to i mean there are areas of our weakness we want to like tend to right yeah but 
that also that weakness just shows us where we need Jesus. And if we completely got rid of that mm-hmm. weak part of our, who we are, then we wouldn't need Jesus, right? Yeah. And yeah. so it's holding those, like, those things in tension just as Jesus holds. Yeah, his, and, and I think that points tension. to a problem that we have. I, I think that generally speaking right now, we as a society favor tender over powerful. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and I think that we, we are shaping an entire uh, generation yeah. around um, sweetness. Mm-hmm. And one of the images I think that Jesus mm-hmm. as lion gives us is there is nothing wrong with um, tended to godly harnessed power and authority. Yeah. And we reject authority in uh, power really to our own peril because we end up um, missing so much. I mean, I, I think that uh, I remember reading in a, in a book last year that Richard Rohr said, you know, what we crave, and again, I'm not vouching for Richard Rohr holistically or comprehensively, <laughs> but he got this right. Uh, he said we, we crave um, and need what he would call relational hierarchy, which is an mm-hmm. honoring of power. But what we have is a sibling society where mm-hmm. we're all acting like we're just the same in all spaces yeah. and rejecting mm-hmm. even our own God-given power it's like an aggressive empathy nowadays it is. and then it, it, yeah. it does something violent i think frankly ironically to right. uh, mm-hmm. jesus as as lion because we have to acknowledge that like god is is will be contended you will have to contend mm-hmm. with god uh, he is not just our buddy mm-hmm. and when i see jesus as being one who uh, must be contended with, must be faced, and and frankly, I must learn to submit and surrender to Him. Mm-hmm. That actually makes me more mindful of my own God given power, yeah. which we all have power. I yeah, mean, it, it's, we all have influence. It's ridiculous yeah. to act like we're we don't have power. We yeah. we've been given power by yeah. God. Then this is a great image uh, where God would say, "I wield power." Um, therefore, I call you to wield whatever power it is you've been given in a way that's honoring and honorable. Yeah, I mean, while you were talking, I was thinking about, like, you're in an Enneagram 8, mm-hmm. and aggressiveness is one of your things. But how beautifully it's used, like, when you're preaching, you know, you are aggressively, like, pounding God into us on a Sunday. <laughs> Which is good. Come to Trinity. <laughs> no, don't come. We're full. <laughs> but, um, but how, you know, I think any anytime we have any descriptor of that, like that, like a word like aggressive or a word like meek, it's like, I, I'm just really slow to judge it because you don't know if that's good or, you know, like it's not good or bad. None of those, like being aggressive is not a bad thing, but I think we see that as a negative thing when we see the lion. Yeah. So I don't know. I just wanted to point that out that like. Yeah, I think so much. I, you know, most of Christianity, you know, um, generation generationally swings back and forth. So mm-hmm. you know, we we tend to go one way and then the other, and like finding that balance is really really difficult. Um, but yeah, I think there's been a lot of um, talk in church, just for me and and my, um, you know. Growing up, and I didn't grow up in the church, but in my adult growing up in the church, um, this idea that there's something wrong with power, and mm-hmm. if you mm-hmm. if you um, have been given some kind of power, then that power isn't from God, right? Um, and um, especially as a woman, <laughs> I won't go into that, but but especially as a woman, like or any kind of you know yeah. marginalized um, or minority population. I'm not saying I'm either marginalized mm-hmm. or a minority, but. Um, it, just this, that 
that it, if powers is given, then that must not be from God. Right. Um, or that power is always exploitive. Yes. It mm-hmm. is exploitive mm-hmm. sometimes. Sometimes. But power itself is, is not, does not have to be exploited. Right. Jesus teaches us this. Yeah. And I think that's actually really important. But part of that is just what you're getting at is just learning to hold things in tension, which yes. is yeah. what you guys have been exploring. Yeah. And yeah. that's the task of mature people is yes. to hold things in a kind of tension that says, these are both true. So what do I do with this? How mm-hmm. then therefore shall we live? Yeah. And I think that's the, the question in front of all of us. That's the question. Mm-hmm. Well, as we're wrapping up and let's just like swing back to Advent and how we're preparing for a feast. And, and I, um, I think about this at Lent too, about, all of life is preparing for a feast, mm-hmm. but we get to practice that yearly, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. um, because we're obviously all preparing um, yeah. for the feast of the marriage supper of the Lamb, um, which I think is an interesting picture in Revelation where it talks, you know, obviously the Lamb is Jesus yeah. um, and he's the bridegroom and we're the bride as the church. And it's interesting that the Lamb is the image. Of, it's not the marriage supper of the lion, it's mm-hmm. the marriage supper of the Lamb. Yeah. Um, but both those pictures are in Revelation. And so just, I guess my offer and my uh, my prayer for myself is that to see every time we come to these, because I think it, it can become rote. I mean, I grew up in the Catholic Church, so things definitely become rote for me. Um, and I'm also the type of personality who likes, like, checklist mm-hmm. um, but just remembering that like we're preparing, preparing for something bigger mm-hmm. um, and that every time we do this every year when we do this we're pre- preparing for something that we can't even comprehend um, mm-hmm. is is um, awe, it, it puts me in awe but it also um, it's hard for me to wrap my mind around like I think yeah, I need you know, the next 40 years of my life to figure that out yeah so. It's and really the, it's like not something to be good at. I think I always approach. What? what are you talking about? I know. Well, I always do that with that. I'm like, I'm going to be good at Lent this year. I'm going to be good at Advent. You know, I'm going to light my candles. And I don't know if you're supposed to, are you supposed to replace the candles that have burned out and like keep, that's a side note <laughs> on your little Advent wreath at home. But um, you need to see bigger candles. I know. Yes. I need to not buy them off of Amazon because they were crap. Um, but yeah, I always turn it into something I'm going to be good at. Like I'm going to take 20, and it's like I completely miss the point every year. So just to really, the point is just to meet with Jesus where you are and invite him in and contemplate things I think that you haven't normally been contemplating. And that's yeah. not something you can prescribe. It's just more of like an openness. Yeah. And there's something new to learn every year. And I forget that. I'm, I tend to have a personality of I know everything already. Um, and no, you don't. Yeah, then uh, then God <laughs> uh, kind of shakes me. Um, and like this year, like, I mean, dude, how many times I've I read about Bethlehem and all the stories and all of that. And I for the first time realized or somewhere in the back of my brain from some class, I remembered that Bethlehem means the house of bread. Mm-hmm. And then Jesus calls himself the bread of life. And my like brain exploded the mm-hmm. other day when I was doing my Advent devotion. And, and how many times have I done Advent devotion? So I think coming in to it with this anticipation every year, you're going to learn something yeah. new. You know? so yeah. Yeah. So it's true. Thoughts or questions? No thoughts or questions. I got nothing. This was great. Hey, if someone likes C.S. Lewis, but they find it overwhelming, like his whole, like there's, there's a lot. What would you suggest they start with and why? If you're going to, that's a great question. So if you want to know about C.S. Lewis, Alistair McGrath wrote what, in my view, is one of the best biographies that I've read, period. Not just about Lewis, but anybody. It it gives you a look into Mm -hmm. Lewis's heart, life, soul, writings, all that stuff. So Alistair McGrath, uh, C.S. Lewis, you can find it on the We'll link that in the show notes. It's amazing. 
my favorite uh, introduction to Lewis is uh, The Great Divorce. It, it's my favorite book. It's a short book. Uh, it's very powerful. It's full of imagery, mm-hmm. as Lewis is prone to give us so much beautiful imagery. So that would be kind of like intro because it's okay. 100, 120 pages or so. Uh, I, I do think that, um, but it's hard to stop there. I mean, near Christianity, I, I love the Narnia books I, I think are just so important, so significant. Okay. And you you really can't, uh, you, you're going to be reading for a long time if you get into C.S. Lewis. But yeah. I, I would start with with The Great Divorce because it's probably the simplest, shortest book that Lewis mm-hmm. wrote in terms of allegory. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, if you're into science fiction, his adult um, space trilogy, I mean, Paralandra is probably in my top five uh, favorite works of fiction of all time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, not not as excited about some of the other ones, like that hideous strength for me was did not ring my bell, but but Paralandra I think is is one of the, one of the best ones, not just from Lewis, but I, I think one of my favorite works of fiction ever. Yeah. Okay. And Great Divorces would be where I would point people to as well. I reread it and went this year and remembered, gosh, I love this. Yeah. <laughs> so good. I should read it every year because you're right. It's short. It's short. And, and it's the last just... page is one of the best endings of any book. Uh, it, it, it's like a John Steinbeck-esque ending where you just think, wow, they really nailed it. He, he really did a great surprising job at the very end of that book. So I won't give it away. Yeah. I, I think it, my kids ask me often, like, you know, what's heaven going to be like? And obviously we only have like little glimpses, um, but there's just like a small part of me that thinks that C.S. Lewis is close to having it best. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you take The Great Divorce and the Narnia books, you've got yes. a picture of mm-hmm. of what, and, and Lewis's sermon, The Weight of Glory, you've just oh, got yeah. a great picture of the Lord wants to make you, you and me a solid. Yeah. And, and we're currently more ghost-like than we will be. Yeah. And mm-hmm. I love that picture. It's like we think of the afterlife as moving us toward ghosts. Mm-hmm. And really yeah. what Lewis would say is, I'm a ghost now. I'm moving towards something really solid. solid. And I, the image we, we, we share and the phrase we, we share here at Trinity occasionally is that I, I want to live my life in such a way that I'm able to bend the blades of grass in God's country. Mm-hmm. It's a really pretty picture, a beautiful picture of God's, God's call yeah. on all of us. Agreed. That's good. Well, this was great, Chris. Thank you. Thank you very much. Yeah. Thank you for taking the time out of what I know is a crazy, all of us, a crazy Advent schedule. So I thank everybody for listening in the midst of their crazy Advent schedules. And no episode next week. Merry Christmas. No episode the next two weeks because Christmas and New Year's fall on Tuesdays or New Year's Eve and Christmas Eve, whatever, something like that. But we'll be back in January. Yep. See you next year. See you next decade. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. On that note, (laughs) Um, everybody have a great Christmas. Bye. Bye. So till next week, we are on Instagram at Woven and Him. We are on Facebook and Patreon forward slash Woven and Him. You can also email us fullywoven at gmail.com. And I'm Rebecca Pete, like the coffee brand. And you can find me at RebeccaPete.com where you can also find all my social handles. Yep. And uh, I don't want to be found. So just find me on the Facebook for our uh, podcast and the Instagram, but not my personal. Bye. Bye.